Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and fellow video essayist Tom Vanderlinden from Like Stories of Old, that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week, we're talking about the 2021 film Pig, starring Nicolas Cage. Tom, why Pig? Why were you excited about talking about this movie? Yeah, Pig was one of my favorite films of the last year. I might even say it was my favorite in some ways. It really surprised me because I went in with such different expectations, which, which we'll get into. But overall, I felt it was just a unexpectedly heartwarming film that was sad yet beautiful and tackled some interesting themes like passion and connection and authenticity in some very interesting ways. So yeah, it's uh, for me, it was definitely uh, a no-brainer that we would at some point get into it. Yeah, I agree. I think it was very, it took me off guard, I think would be a, a good way of mm -hmm. putting the film. I enjoyed my first experience rewatching it. I grew an even deeper appreciation for kind of what the themes and the ideas that this this film is exploring. And it's it's a fun kind of scenario. The setting is is interesting. Um, the city of Portland is a very interesting, unique city mm -hmm. in the U.S. And so I enjoyed that setting and just the way that it kind of speaks in relation to kind of a genre of film that we've been seeing a lot of recently, which is sort of this revenge thriller where, you know, a middle-aged guy kind of has to go back into a world that he's retired from. So I think the way it fits nicely mm -hmm. into in conversation with those other films like John Wick and Nobody from last year and mm -hmm. Taken, uh, those kinds yeah. of films, I think is is very interesting. Even Nicolas uh, Cage himself, he did a number of smaller indie films where he played semi-violent or men uh, capable of violence. And uh, I'm not sure, have you seen Mandy? Um, Mandy yeah. I've seen, yes. Yeah, Mandy is a great example. Um, I think he did one called like Stolen or something. Mm -hmm. That was a pretty, yeah, Stolen was a pretty obvious taken ripoff. I haven't actually seen that mm -hmm. one, so I can't speak to if it is really a ripoff or not, but from mm -hmm. the marketing, it seems like. So yeah, this is a path that that Nicolas Cage has definitely been down mm -hmm. before. So I, I'm curious mm -hmm. because this film is is something that, and I, there will be spoilers for this movie as we talk about it. it, it it's one of those movies that kind of, turns into something. And so there's really no way of talking about what it is without kind of fundamentally spoiling the journey that this movie takes you mm -hmm. on. But I'm curious for you, Tom, like what you were expecting from this movie going into it and then how that progression happened or like how you discovered, yeah. you know, what was that like the process of discovering yeah. what this movie really is? Yeah, I remember thinking my first impression after watching the film was that I, I realized I came into that film uh, expecting a low-key version of John Wick and I ended up with uh, Ratatouille with <laughs> <laughs> because it, it started off with the basic premise of any revenge story as you said we have this reclusive man he wants to be left alone but then uh, he's dragged back into his old world reluctantly because of a injustice that is inflicted upon him and then he has to go back he has to face all these demons again and he has to 
eventually faced the big bad guy, which um, we'll get to in uh, a bit later. But then it's so quickly, on second viewing, it was so obvious that it wasn't going to be a film like this. But yeah, um, on my first watch, it, it I think it slowly dawned on me as he was, uh, well, for one, there wasn't any real violence in him, if in the film, at least not, right. especially not any violence inflicted by uh, Nicolas Cage's character, uh, Robin, I think it was his name. Yeah. But then, yeah, for me, towards the end, that's where it really became obvious. Oh, yeah, this is something entirely different. This is nothing to do with revenge. And that sort of reframed my whole perspective of the film in hindsight. It's uh, because it it's so completely reshapes what this whole story was about, what it was leading up to. And then after the end, what it said in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah. What were your thoughts? What was your first impressions on this? Similar, same thing. I think the the film, the casting, the scenario sets up a, an expectation in terms of genre, in terms of story, in terms mm -hmm. of where this is going. And I think I I held on to that expectation for what, in hindsight, when I watched it the second time, was like a ridiculously long time. Like there's towards pretty late into the film he finally kind of meets the, mm -hmm. his nemesis yeah. uh, in the film. And I, there was still moments in the first watching where I remember like thinking like, okay, is this the moment where he just mm. flips out and like, you know, becomes violent and, you know, takes his yeah. revenge on this guy. And it never happens. It never comes. I think the the moment when I I realized like, oh, this is truly just going in an entirely different direction is that dinner where we we find that what takes the place of the act of revenge is instead mm -hmm. this sort of act of almost compassion yeah. where he decides to cook a dinner for this man. And that was where I was like, okay, this movie's something entirely different. It's never going to play to the type mm -hmm. that I was kind of expecting. And I, I think the movie knows the entire time that it's kind of pulling that sleight mm -hmm. of hand. Like it very much plays with that genre expectation when he's like going into the secret hotel basement and there's like a fight club, basically. All of those types of things kind of continue to play with your expectation that there is going to be some kind of violent revenge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny how on the second viewing it was so obvious, like right from the beginning. One of the first things you see Robin do is prepare a meal with all these hand-collected forest things. I'm not sure what it was like. I, th I think it was yeah. mushrooms, like a mushroom pie he was making. But the way it's filmed, it's done with such care and attention. And that basically sums up for me the entire theme of the film, like right in those first few minutes, that just the importance of doing things with awareness and with some honesty sincerity and authenticity yeah it's only when he gets back to portland his old world that you really get back into the world of as it is emphasized uh, a couple of times the world of appearances and reputation especially the little uh, or the younger man who joins him he's he's obviously trying to live up to his father he's trying to fit into this image of how do you say it the uh sort of rough-edged uh, restaurant. He's not a restaurant owner, but a supplier, I think. Yeah. 
someone who's tough enough to exist and survive in that world, which already is pretty a pretty tough one. And you see clearly with his character that he's listening to classical music in the car, but it's like these educational tapes on classical music. Like he's trying to become right. a person who would listen to and understand classical music. And it's also when uh, Robin, the Nicolas Cage character, first meets the the guy who also runs the fight club. And I remember that the character says to him, like, oh, there was a time when your name meant something, but now it doesn't. And so now you don't have any value. It's like you don't exist. Yeah. So it's yeah. clear that this is a world where it's all about appearance. It's all about pretending to be something that you're not. And I think I like how the film explores the sort of price that you pay for that. Yeah. Which is most, for me, is most clearly in the scene where they visit this high-end restaurant and Robin meets with the chef who is by all appearance or like outside appearances, he's super successful. He has uh, one of the hottest restaurants in the city and yet he is uh, not doing what he really wanted to do. He is uh, He wanted to start a pub or something, but he started instead started this restaurant, uh, which led to this monologue from Robin, which was one of my favorites of the year, which, where he basically deconstructs his whole character in the same way that he, that character offers a deconstructed meal to his customers, which yeah. I thought was like a fun little parallel. <laughs> yeah. I have some of the lines from that monologue written down. Do you mind if I read some of them? Yeah, go ahead. To set the stage of the scene, they come into this restaurant and it's very, for lack of a better word, pretentious, high-end, like art cuisine. You mm -hmm. know, they're, they're, they give this long philosophical introduction and pull away this like piece of glass that reveals a few ingredients with like steam pouring off of it. And then they ask for the chef. The chef comes out. Um, he eventually recognizes Robin and they start having a conversation. It turns out the chef of this fancy restaurant used to work for Robin's restaurant. And then Robin says some things, which you were talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read a few lines. He says, they're not real. You get that, right? None of it is real. The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real because it isn't real and you aren't real. And then he says, Derek, which is the name of the, the chef, mm -hmm. why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you because you haven't shown them Every day you wake up and there will be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Mm -hmm. And that's... So good. Yeah. <laughs> that And that marks such an interesting trajectory that I think the revelation of who the character of Robin is, mm -hmm. I think is such an interesting thing in the film too, where yep. he looks like he's beat up he's mm -hmm. bloody he looks smelly you know he's long-haired huge unkempt beard he's been living out in the woods and the impression at first is kind of like oh this is a guy who's maybe lost his mind a little bit or has just like rejected society he's gone out he's living into the woods he's kind of a hobo hillbilly mm -hmm. type character and then you slowly realize throughout the course of the film that maybe like he's gone into the woods and gained wisdom and to a certain extent a, a degree of like sanity or mm -hmm. 
you know, he escaped something, depending on your philosophical view, yeah. you know, whether or not you kind of agree with his view of the world. But he's not out there. He hasn't gone crazy. He's found something. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting in the film, the contrast between the young man who's Amir, who is kind mm -hmm. of shuttling him around and helping him try to find his pig. And a lot of the people he encounters have such a hard time articulating themselves. Like Derek, the chef in yep. the fancy restaurant, he is like stuttering and mm -hmm. just like can't get out complete sentences. And Amir too, when he tries to explain like why he doesn't work for his dad, he he doesn't use full sentences. Yeah. He's just like, it's like, he's very, mm -hmm. is like how he describes it in the film. And then Robin says a very few eloquent things Yeah, yeah. and kind of dismantles their, like the world that they've constructed, mm -hmm. which as you've mentioned already is very much about reputation, yeah. name, appearances, and those types of yeah. things. Yeah, just to add to that, there's also, uh, which I noticed on my third viewing with the Derek character, that he's he's also has no clear perception of time. He's like, at first he's like, oh, you've been off the scene for what, like 10 years? And then, no, it's 15. And then uh, Robin tells Emil like, oh, he worked for me for two months. And then Derek's like, oh, was it, was it two months? Whereas... Robin, on the, end, on the other end, he seems to have this almost superhuman, super clear memory of, at one point he says, like, I remember every customer I've ever served. I remember every meal I've ever cooked, which for me, at first it was a bit silly. Like, it's almost that, like, he has this superhuman quality. But on second thought, it does further emphasize quite nicely how when you do something with care and attention, it also stays with you and you are aware when you're doing it, you're connected to the world around you and to the things that you're doing. And when you're not, when you're just going with the flow or just trying to be someone else, and then time is also something that just slips away from you because as, as the monologue says, yeah. it's not real, none of it's real because you aren't real in that context. He, I think it is almost a little bit super or it's painted almost as a little bit superhuman mm -hmm. and that's part of how the film plays with sort of the genre it's subverting which is you know the as we already mentioned kind of the revenge thriller where it you know piggybacking off of things like john wick where john wick is such an insane like he's such a powerful assassin that mm -hmm. he can just take out whole armies of yep. gangsters and everybody fears him yeah and in this film it's kind of the same thing yeah like Robin Feld is such a renowned, insane cook that he can just kind of come in mm -hmm. and it it is, it's interesting that when he first encounters Edgar, he gives him the food and Edgar tells him his name doesn't mean anything anymore, which actually kind of ends up being not true because he uses his name. Mm. His name is very powerful. Like they, um, Amir can use Robin Feld's name to like find this really obscure bottle of wine, like get into a restaurant that, you know, is booked out months in advance. Mm -hmm. um, so his name holds a certain amount of power and people, when they encounter him, almost seem to just like, he has this, this kind of terrifying reputation to people. But part of that, you know, I, I eventually, I think we learned that like, that's because he was just sort of this like extraordinary um, mm -hmm. cook or chef. And so I, I think it's it's having a little bit of 
fun with like heightening slightly beyond realism, like yeah. the 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 tropes of the characters. And when he does eventually encounter the father, Darius, I think is his name. Yeah, Darius. The restaurant supplier. Mm -hmm. He's like so overly villainous for a restaurant. Like it's yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't remember exact lines that he says, but you know, he's such a cutthroat mm -hmm. kind of evil dude. And so there is this element of like, slightly like pushing things beyond the boundaries of of realism even though in a sense it's a much more realistic movie than something like you know john wick or mm -hmm. or those kinds of things yeah do you think that robin had a character arc over the course of the film that was something i was a little bit confused about like what this this whole journey meant to him because yeah. you can see there's an obvious character arc going on with amir the young kid who yeah. is trying to pretend something he's not and then in the end he learns that it's more valuable to stay true to himself which i think is pretty obviously signified when he, the final shot of him in the car he puts on the classical music and then turns it off and just stays in the moment for a bit but with robin i was thinking about like what exactly does this whole story mean to him right do you have any thoughts on that i think he does have an arc mm -hmm. And I think it has to do mostly with something we haven't touched on yet, which there's a lot of revelations that kind of happen in this film. You, you know, The pig is stolen. Robin is looking for the pig. You realize eventually that he was a famous restaurant owner and left the business mm -hmm. in, in into the woods for some reason. And then eventually you realize that his wife died and that was a, why he left. And so I think that aspect of the story has to do with his arc and him coming back out of the woods and into Portland, back into the old world, is him mm -hmm. confronting that. He's obviously gained, potentially gained all this wisdom as he's living in the woods. Or maybe he was always like that. Maybe he was always super like philosophical and mm -hmm. kind of Buddhist. But you get the impression that maybe like he's developed that way of thinking since his wife died mm -hmm. and so he he's carrying this wisdom or this sense of dismantling the artifice of the world that the people he's going against are still living in for something more authentic but he's been unable to grapple with the death of his wife and that's signified most clearly by he has a tape of her singing and he puts it in his mm -hmm. tape player at the beginning and he tries to listen to it but he can't by the end of the film, yeah. he is able to listen to it. And I think the way him grappling with that is portrayed is very unique because he goes through this process of, he goes back to his old house and he has a conversation with the child about mm -hmm. a persimmon tree that is no longer there, that was in his backyard. Um, and he goes to his old restaurant, Hestia, and it's a bakery now. The, the person he passed it on to has mm -hmm. turned it into a bakery. And he's encountering all these elements of the world he used to live in that are no longer there that have changed they've moved on mm -hmm. and there's a line at the end of the film where he's talking to amir in this bakery after he eventually learns that the pig has died where he says i was thinking if i never came looking for her in my head she'd still be alive and amir says but she wouldn't be hmm. And then after a really insanely long pause, uh, Robin mm -hmm. says, no, she wouldn't. But I like that line a lot because 
that line, I think, refers potentially to so many things. Like there's the pig, there's the restaurant, um, which is also Mm -hmm. a female. So the pig could be her, his restaurant, Hestia could be her because Mm -hmm. Hestia is a Greek goddess and also his wife. And so there's a sense in which he like goes back into this old space where all Mm -hmm. these things had existed and he has to very visibly confront that loss. And it's a, such a painful process for Mm -hmm. him, which I think is like visualized by he gets beat up a couple times throughout the film, but he never cleans himself up and his bruises are, are just like growing (laughs) and getting bigger. And it's almost like the more time he spends back in Portland, the more Mm -hmm. like physically beat up and, you know, hurt he's getting as the film progresses. Mm -hmm. And then he passes on some wisdom to Amir and kind of shows Amir what's meaningful. And then I think in that exchange, Amir is able to give back to Robin what Robin has given to Amir. And that's what kind of allows Mm -hmm. him to (laughs) confront his loss and his grief more fully. Yes. It's like by being secluded in the woods, he can kind of pretend his wife is still existing in the real world. But then when he confronts that reality, he also has to really face that reality that his wife is gone and which is also kind of paralleled by the bad guy Darius's wife who is being trapped in this uh, it's suggested that it's a sort of artificial coma I'm not sure what the exact situation is but it seemed like the film was trying to suggest that the wife should be let go but she's being artificially kept alive or on life support um, because Darius still is afraid to let go or to confront that reality that his wife is gone. But yeah, we don't really get to see an outcome on that that, specific plot element. I did like you mentioned the old restaurant being turned into a bakery. Yes. Which to me felt like the counterpart to the Derek story because um, she, the baker lady, mentioned that she was a baker and Robin was a chef and she realized she couldn't do what he was doing. She had to make it her own. So she transformed the restaurant into a bakery. And in that way, she can still pursue her passion and stay true to herself, which I guess is also why he uses her bread for the final confrontation, I guess, Um, because that that suggests that's a bread that's made with passion. Like that's a piece of bread that's real. Which for me also was a nice suggestion that it's not just because at first I was a bit worried that the film was trying to suggest that everything new is bad and we just have to stick to the old ways and the the old stuff. But staying true to yourself can also mean a sort of reinvention or a readjustment or trying something new or making changes which I thought was really nice. I think the Derek character and the Baker lady, I'm not sure what her name was, but I really like how they form these mirror images of each other, one being a success and the other not so much. Yeah. The Hestia, which was his restaurant, that Greek goddess was one of the hearth of like Mm -hmm. domesticity and warmth and sort of like homeliness. And then... Um, the name of Derek's restaurant was Eurydice, which is mm-hmm. a goddess who was 
the wife of Orpheus, and we don't have to get into the whole story, but there's an interesting parallel there where Eurydice dies and goes into the underworld, and Orpheus mm-hmm. goes back into the underworld to try mm-hmm. to reclaim her or bring her back to life. And he sings such a sad song that the gods of the underworld allow him to lead her back to the surface mm-hmm. with the condition that he can't look back. He, uh, If he looks back while they're walking towards the surface, yeah. you know, it's all for naught. And he, in the story, he does, uh, right as they're getting to mm-hmm. getting out of the underworld, he looks back and she, yeah. she vanishes. And that kind of mirrors this whole progression where you mm-hmm. have these two men, both of whom who are grappling with a loss and both yeah. in their own way are trying to hold on to it. Um, mm-hmm. As you already mentioned, uh, Darius, by like it's suggested artificially keeping his wife alive. Um, and Amir expresses like he wishes that Dar- his father would just let her die. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think Robin has also been trying to keep his wife alive and multiple things alive by just secluding himself and staying uh, away from that entirely Mm -hmm. but and so you know he's on his journey back into the underworld Mm -hmm. and i don't know how the ending necessarily relates exactly but yeah perhaps it's worth noting that uh the reason that orpheus looks back at his wife walking behind him is because he at one point starts to doubt if she's really there if he's not being tricked by the yeah uh, i think by hades by the god of the underworld so he looks back to make sure she was real. And then, of course, she vanishes, which I think sort of nicely applies to Robin's journey that in the way or the bigger themes of Pig in general, that to confront grief is also to affirm that that which you loved was actually real, that it was right. there, even though it's no longer, which, yeah, I guess that sort of connects there's obviously like an innate connection between passion and grief because I think you cannot grieve if you haven't loved and you cannot love without the promise of eventual grief in some form or another. Yeah. So yeah, that's also why I figured the pig had to die at the end. That's to sort of reaffirm that message. But yeah, I think there's also a, um, just to circle back to the more general theme, there's an earlier conversation between Robin and Amir where uh, Robin describes a kind of apocalyptic event to him. Yes. Which may have sounded a bit fatalistic, like everything's going to be gone, the, the, the earth is going to shake, all the bridges are going to come down, every building is going to be destroyed, there's going to be a wave that's going to flood everything away. I'm not sure exactly what the story was, but it was something along those lines, which could be interpreted as a way of saying nothing that you do matters. But I think it also, it actually was meant to convey that you actually, it matters a lot what you care about because nothing is going to last forever. You only have this brief moment in space and time to express your love and make those connections and experience the, just the simple happiness that comes from it from. Yeah being connected from doing things with care and attention and just staying true to yourself, that whole stuff, which you also see in the way 
uh, Robin relates to many of his older friends, like uh, we mentioned the Baker lady, who he still is on really good terms with, it seems like they have a strong connection. She offers him the bread and also early in the film when he meets, I'm not sure what uh, function that character had in, had in the world. It was a sort of market where the, the first lady they talk to about the missing pig who then gets really like oh yeah excited like she's gonna she's like oh if you mess with him you mess with me and right. he, he was like right on top of it which i thought was really funny and also really nice it just goes to show that he that he has treated other people with kindness and honesty and sincerity and he is also receiving that in return yeah that conversation that you mentioned, I think is a very interesting one because like you said, it's not a fatalistic story. And I think that was one where my perception of that shifted from the first to the second watch as I like understood mm -hmm. his character better the second time around, where it's like, it's easy to perceive that as like this unkempt guy living in the woods is like the end is mm -hmm. nigh doom. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's just proclaiming the the destruction mm. of the world and and so he doesn't care about anything anymore but he opens that whole thing up by saying we don't have to care and then he says people first came out here 10,000 years ago and then we would have been under 400 feet of water and then he kind of tells the story about how eventually everything will return to mm. that state and so it's this very like cyclical pattern and immediately after that story he says you should use stale bread for french toast because amir has made him french mm -hmm. toast and it just like so embodies his philosophy which is like his point in that story is not just it's all going to be destroyed and like you said so don't care about yeah. anything it's that we don't have to care about this society we built because there's kind of this cycle mm -hmm. you know this return back to where things came from but he immediately kind of affirms like mm -hmm. his craft yeah. what he cares about which is like you should use stale bread for french toast because it tastes good it's a better way to make french toast and it's just a waste of fresh breath to yeah yeah toast it so i think it's his philosophy all ultimately is one that's very affirming of mm -hmm. life and like authenticity and craft and what's good mm -hmm. while sort of not caring at all about pretense or name or appearance yeah. or these types of things yeah which i think is is really cool uh it's not a philosophy that is embodied super often certainly not in the kinds of films mm -hmm. that this one is sort of in yep. dialogue with or is playing off of these mm -hmm. revenge thrillers. Yeah, I think on that note, it's also interesting to mention or to talk about why they used the world of food and restaurants as the setting and the, the sort of backdrop to all this, because I think that's also a an industry that has these, at least on the surface level, these conflicting qualities where on the one hand, it's it's really about the food and there's a lot of passion that obviously goes into making it and preparing it. And it takes something that is essential to our survival. Like we need food for the nutrition, but then they make something so much more out of it. They, we, because food doesn't have to taste good. We just have to eat it. We just have to be nurtured by it. We don't have to be 
for our survival, we don't have to enjoy it. But yet there's this whole industry of extremely dedicated, extremely passionate people who are nevertheless working to make that experience special and enjoyable and memorable. But on the other hand, it is also a business that's known for the more cutthroat business practices and abusive chefs. And I think the whole underground fight scene also illustrates that how employees, they kind of knock down on the the social ladder there. And there's always yeah. someone being kicked somewhere. And it's not a world that's easy to survive in. And that's even not getting into potential like animal cruelty stuff that maybe was a result of getting the foods or the, yeah. the meats or like uh, exploited right. people for certain other crops. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. But so there's, yeah, there's an interesting, you'd almost say it's a contradiction there between those two elements that nevertheless exist together. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. One of the interesting revelations I think that comes later in the film is uh, when you realize the reason that Darius took the pig, because this whole time you're kind of like, why, you know, why steal his pig in particular? Is it that hard to get a really good truffle mm -hmm. pig? It's, it's, it's suggested that like it is difficult, but eventually, eventually you learn that Darius took it specifically to undercut his own son. Like he gets scared because his son is succeeding at his business. And so he goes after his own son and steals, mm -hmm. steals the pig to try to destroy his, his own son's business. And there's just a huge, um, and also when he confronts Derek about the pig, Derek mm -hmm. kind of like stammers and tries to make up this excuse, but he doesn't have a good explanation, but he's trying to excuse what he's mm -hmm. done because that's what you have to do to survive in this business. We need the best truffles. So we had to steal a good truffle yeah. pig, et cetera. And that, that theme of just like what matters is the bottom line, the business. And I can kind of even try to justify whatever my actions are within mm -hmm. that framework of like succeeding. So that dichotomy between serving people, making people food, giving people an experience, um, even the little speech that they give at the beginning of um, mm, yeah. the Eurydice scene, it's all about like showing people the beauty of the land that's around yeah, them yeah. by deconstructing those ingredients. But then you find out, yeah, yeah, they're stealing other people's truffle pigs. So very local, very beautiful, but yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So yeah, that contrast and that mm -hmm. dichotomy is is definitely um, very present in the yeah. film. So yeah, do you... We haven't really specifically talked about the final scene, the final confrontation, like yes, where the way for Robin to get his, it's not even called revenge, like the way he gets um, Darius to offer the information about the pig is to cook this really special meal that he apparently enjoyed with his wife like many, many years ago. And that was the one a uh, beautiful memory that they had together and he was able to recreate that. Like that's for me the Ratatouille moment where 
Yeah. <laughs> the bitter chef is suddenly reminded of something beautiful that happened in his childhood or something uh, yeah. homely and something uh, warm and beautiful. And here it pretty much happens. You have the same thing going on, um, which I thought was really interesting at first. And then uh, on second viewing, it moved me a lot more. Yeah. I'm not even sure why. It's just a way that he tries to connect with this man who he has every he reason to hate and he instead offers him something probably the, one of the most beautiful things that he could give or he could possibly receive at that moment yeah it's almost a christ-like uh offering of kindness like there's an, a sort of what you call it like universal love that he just imbues to everyone, even if those people have harmed him, or it was just a really cruel way to <laughs> invoke the grief within him. But I'm not sure that I don't think that's the, what the movie was going for. There's there's a verse in the in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, Romans twelve twenty says, "If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head." Mm. And I think that kind of embodies like what's happening in that scene where it's like he is kind of exacting a degree of revenge. Mm -hmm. Like he's causing Darius to like confront his grief through this memory in a very, yeah. in a way that's like very painful to him. The scene's so brilliantly orchestrated too. There's like no lines and you kind of see as he's eating Darius like mm -hmm. sips the wine and takes a bite and he it just like slowly dawns on him. And then he like gets up and he's like making pouring himself a drink and stuff. Yeah. And he's he's like inflicting pain upon him through this. And he's almost, in a sense, it's almost revenge because it's like Darius's mm -hmm. actions in stealing the pig has forced Robin to go back into the city and kind of reconfront his pain and his past and his loss. And so he's doing the same thing to Darius. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, an act of like compassion and love mm -hmm. and he's like confronting I, I don't know yeah that dichotomy is mm -hmm. is very well played out and, and it's something that is hard to put into words yeah and so i think that scene does a beautiful job of like expressing that type of action of how you know love when applied in a certain way or compassion when applied in a certain way can like almost cause pain to to someone else mm -hmm. but in a way that ultimately is hopefully you know healing to them or beneficial in the long run even in, if in that moment they don't yeah. appreciate it yeah i really admired how the film really demonstrated the fine line between love and grief like there's no clear good versus bad it's just it, it makes you realize that the, the best things in life are also connected to some of the worst parts of life and you, you cannot have one without the other and well actually i think i guess you can have the bad parts without of life without the good parts but i think the film shows that it's actually when you don't love or don't have any passion there's also the pain might not be as bad but the alternative is this sort of just detached feeling of misery there's no real yeah th there's 
pretty much it's emptiness is the alternative, it's, yeah, which I think is a really important message also for a film to communicate that life is not about avoiding the pain and just trying to achieve the good and what feels good and the good parts. It's about taking it all, like taking it as sort of accepting the whole package and avoiding the, the, the emptiness that is otherwise the only thing you'll be left with. Yeah. Going back to that line I already mentioned where mm -hmm. he was saying, if I never came looking, she'd still be alive. That reply of, but she wouldn't be, is such an encouragement towards acceptance of mm -hmm. reality as it is, mm -hmm. of like not distancing yourself from what is true of like, you know, he's saying like, you can stay in your cabin and imagine that she's still alive, mm -hmm. but she isn't. That's a, that's a fantasy. That's a, that's not the reality. And I think the film kind of encourages just an acceptance of, you know, the truth of yeah. life and what's happening and not trying to retreat into, you know, an artifice that you've kind mm -hmm. of constructed for yourself. Yeah. It's the world of abstractions and which yeah. is the same world where the other characters exist in when they only care about reputation and the name and values and yeah. Yeah. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. pretty much sums it up, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful film. All that from a movie that, you know, you expect going in something entirely different. And then instead of that, it hands you this wonderful exploration of life and grief and, you know, meaning and what, what matters and authenticity. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I I'm going to be recommending it to a lot of people. And I think, I think it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful film. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on or any big takeaways that you have that we haven't uh, talked about? I don't think so. I think that as we talked about, when it comes down to it, the message is pretty simple, but it's sometimes it's the simple messages I think that we need to be reminded of because they are also so easily forgotten and especially on a yeah. more practical level, like it's easy to just go about life and see a film like this and then go out, go on with your day and then sort of forget about the importance of doing something with passion, even the small things like preparing a meal, you know, something that you do every day, maybe a couple of times a day, even that, yeah, it's just do things with attention and with care. And that's, I think in the end, what I got the most out of it. And I was really glad just to see a film who that communicates that so effectively and so clearly in such a beautiful yeah. way. It's a film that I think is interesting in that I, some people I think would look at the character and see him as, you know, crazy or like, it's rare that you see a film that almost paints as its ideal, a guy living in his woods, growing his hair out and like, mm -hmm. you know, just cooking meals for himself with his pig. But that's not an image of the ideal life that we see uh, kind of upheld in film very often. But ultimately, those are the values that I do care about or the things that I think do make life worth living and valuable 
can be sustained in that environment and in the city. You know, it, it's not that you have to go into the woods mm -hmm. and live with your pig <laughs> in order to have a meaningful life, but you can. You know, mm -hmm. there's there's nothing about the modern life and all the trappings of success that is necessary to value and goodness and these other things. Yeah. And so I love seeing that il illustrated in a film where it kind of is pushing back against this feeling of necessity of, you know, larger and larger ambition and yeah, fame yeah. and reputation and success and just allowing, you know, a more simple life to be upheld as as something that's that's worthwhile and valuable and meaningful on its own. Yeah. And it, it matters much more like the way he lives his life than like the extent to which he's recognized or successful. So yeah, that that's it's probably my big mm -hmm. takeaway from the film. I agree. One one last little tidbit. You mentioned at the beginning that um Amir listens in the car to classical music, but it's like instructional. It's all about why classical is so mm -hmm. the best and all these things. And um his dad, his dad listens to classical music in that kind of climactic scene. Mm. Um, some classical yeah. music plays. It might be some of the same pieces he's listening to in the car. I don't know. I had to, I didn't mm. confirm that, but uh, I love that contrast yeah. of like, like he's tr he's striving to become his father, and then at the very end, he kind mm -hmm. of when he shuts off that radio, it kind of signifies like a he's no that's no longer his ambition is to become his dad, mm -hmm. and I also like. The other last little thing I'll, I'll say is that I also like that the Rob character isn't completely, he's removed himself from society, but he hasn't condemned the restaurant business or like society as a whole. He kind of accepts its persistence and he even participates in it. He's mm -hmm. just like, I'm just going to participate in this part of it where I look for truffles and I'm willing to sell those to people and, and still yeah. be a part of things, but just in a way that affirms mm -hmm. you know my values yeah it's like in the end you just have to you you cannot expect to change the world right in its entirety you just you sort of have to cut your own little corner into it and perhaps in that way you can find some way to stay true to yourself but yeah that's uh yeah yeah I agree. Thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please check us out on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can listen to all of our episodes a week early. Right now, the best way you can get access to Nebula is by signing up for Curiosity Stream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more about that, just follow the link in the show notes, and we'll see you again next time.